Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Bible reading is taken from Ezra chapter 5 verse 9 to chapter 6 verse 14. The Bible reading is taken from Esther chapter 5 verse 9 to chapter 6 verse 14. After reading, I will say this is the word of the Lord. Kindly respond by saying thanks be to God. Esther 5 9 to chapter 6 14. A man went out that day happy and in high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, a man restrained himself and went home. Calling together his friends and Zeresh, his wife, a man boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways the king had honored him, and how he had elevated him above the other nobles and officials. And that's not all, Amman added. I am the only person King Queen Hester invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave. And she has invited me along with the king tomorrow. But all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew, Mordecai, sitting at the king's gate. His wife, Zeresh, and all his friends said to him, Have a pole set up, reaching to a height of 50 cubits and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. This suggestion delighted Amman, and he had the pole set up. That night, the king could not sleep, so he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. It was found recorded that there that Mordecai had exposed Victana, the Teresh, two of the king's officers, who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Zazas. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? The king asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. The king said, who is in the court? Now, Amman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai on the pole he had set up for him. His attendants answered, a man is sitting in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. When a man entered, the king asked him, What should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Now, a man thought to himself, Who is there that the king would rather honor than me? So he answered the king, For the man the king delights to honor, have, him bring a royal, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn and a horse the king has ridden one with a royal crest placed on its head. Then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king's delights to honor. Go at once, the king commanded Amman. Get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. 
do not neglect anything you have recommended. So Ammon got the rope and the horse. He roped Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city gates, proclaiming before him, This is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Afterward, Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Ammon rushed him with his head covered in grief and told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends, everything that had happened to him. His advisors and his wife, Zeresh, said to him, Since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Ammon away to the banquet Esther had prepared. This is the word of the Lord. Hello. Hello. All right. Okay. Fine. Good. I'm okay. All right. Thank you. Morning again. If you, again, if it's your first time, we're happy to have you. Um, my name is Femi. Now, we've been going through um, a sermon series for, from the beginning of September. And we titled the series um, Idols and the City. Idols and the City. And we use the word idols because as Christians, we believe that there is only one God. But we also believe that everyone worships something. Now, if you're not worshiping that God, you're worshiping what we'll call an idol, all right? So that's, that's why we call the idols and city. And we said, look, in the city of Lagos, there are different kinds of idols, but three main ones. That's the idol of money, which we treated in October, September, the idol of sex, which we treated in October, and then the idol of power, which we started treating. So we've done one sermon. And this is the second one. Now we're coming to the end of our series. I think I want to start with this um, uh, quote. How many of us know Abraham Lincoln? Have you heard of Abraham Lincoln? Yes? All right, Abraham Lincoln is 16th president of the United States, and many consider the most, the, probably the greatest president of the United States. And Abraham Lincoln basically had, uh, he had this quotation to test people's character. He said, because many of us have gone through adversity, but really, if you have power, this is what he says. So listen. He says, nearly all men can stand adversity. But if you want to test a man's character, give him power. Hmm. Can we close our eyes? Close your eyes. I don't want to see eyeballs. No white. No white. Don't worry. I'm not going to put you in a trance. I just want to ask you something. All of us here, are in. we ha have some position of power. Whether it's in our families, you could be the firstborn, secondborn or you are a parent, or you are a husband, or in your place of work, there are people under you. If I were to meet those people and ask them, how is this person, how does this person treat you? What would they say? Be honest, think, how would they say? Not what you think or you want them to say, but what do they say? And open your eyes back. I dare say many of us didn't like it. Because if we are honest, you'd be like, uh, I know this one will say nice things, but I'm not sure about this other person. You see, the problem is we're not passing, the reason why I think we're not passing Abraham Lincoln's test is because many of us are, were far too unprepared for having power, to deal with power. You see, we've longed for power many times just because of the uh, status he gives us, 
But all of a sudden, we start realizing, oh, in the way we treated it, that we were unprepared for it. And the reason is far too many of us are unaware of how or what is in us that makes us misuse power. And we misuse power because we don't see how addictive power can be. Power is very addictive. If you don't believe me, I have two other people I want to quote from. Two great people, they're both British. One is Bertrand Russell. And Bertrand Russell says this. He says, power is sweet. It is a drug, the desire for which increases with a habit. Or what about Winston Churchill? Winston Churchill says, power is a drug. Who tried it at least once is poisoned forever. Now, Haman that we read about obviously did not heed the counsel of Churchill and Russell. Right? And that's what we're going to study. Because let me, set the, let me put the setting. Last week, uh, not last week, last time on this sermon series, we were talking about Nebuchadnezzar, and we said that this was set in Babylon. The children of Israel had gone into exile because Babylon had conquered uh, the Jews. So now they are in exile in Babylon. Well, after that, not too long after that, another empire, the empire of the Medes and the Persians, conquered Babylon. So all the people that were under the Babylonian empire all of a sudden became subjects to the Persian empire. And this is the setting that this is happening. It's in the capital. There's an emperor. His name is Zerus, and he's in the capital of Susa. Now, Zerus had a high-ranking official, most high-ranking official, highest-ranked official called Haman. But also, that's uh, person number two. Number three is another guy called Mordecai. Mordecai was the uncle to the new Jewish queen called Esther. All right? So those are four principal characters in this story. And you'll fi find, because this is a fascinating book, that if you track the lives of the four of them, one of the dominant themes in the whole book is how power is used. You'll find that it will be a, it's a very contemporary book, as we'll, we'll see. But here's what we're going to see. We're going to see how the idol of power is addictive and destructive because it doesn't satisfy. Whereas the worship of the true God through the gospel of Christ alone delivers through and demonstrates the appropriate use of power. All right. So we've titled this sermon Narcotic Power and it will be explored under these three subheadings. One, visible power. Two, invisible power and three, loving power. Visible power, invisible power, and loving power. Let's start with the first one. Visible power. How many of us have had what I call a good day? Not a good day is. I'm not talking about a normal day. We know what a bad day is, right? You know a bad day. You know a normal day. Normal days are the ones that you don't remember. Right? You remember bad days, but I'm talking about a good day. A day where, I don't know, maybe you signed a contract, a contract you've been pursuing. Maybe you delivered on a particular project. Maybe you were promoted. Maybe you got proposed to. Maybe you, no, I was about to, maybe you dumped somebody that you needed to dump. But, you know, everything was going on. That day was going well. Fantastic, you know. All of a sudden, the birds that are there, you hear them singing. The sun that is shining is shining. It's not burning you. All because of it, the day was so nice. And then, as you were just walking by, you saw your ex. Okay, no, no, sorry. You saw the ex of your spouse, right? The day just became, it just crashed. Or you saw that colleague, that, that boss that fired you. You were like, who sent you? Who sent you? Well, 
Haman was having something similar. You see, in verse 9 of chapter 5, it says, Haman was in high spirits. He was happy and he was in high spirits. Why was he in high spirits and why was he happy? I think it had to do with who Haman was and what had happened to Haman. Let's examine who Haman was. Who was Haman? Well, Haman, as it says in the text, Haman was a guy who had a lot of wealth. It says vast wealth in verse 11. Haman was paid, like he had money. But also, in a society where they valued men more than women, Haman had a lot of sons. It says there that he had many sons. But not only that, so Haman was this businessman that had a huge family that decided to go into politics. So Haman now, he had a business empire, but now he's entering into politics, and he has reached the pinnacle of the political office. It says here that he was elevated above all other nobles and officials. Haman had every reason to be happy because of who he was. But that wasn't all in terms of what he had. I don't know how many of you, I don't know what they do in secondary school nowadays, but let me tell you a little bit about my secondary school. I liked it. Um, in secondary school, we used to have this thing called um, these parties, you know parties, you know? I don't, you don't know parties. No, 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 you, you, you need to know this one. And these ones were not, sometimes on weekends, but sometimes weekdays, you know, they'll print out the IVs, and then whether the person was, this one, the, one, the people organizing this one from Atlantic Hall, this one's from Vivian Fowler, this one's from Queens College, King's College, ISO. Those were the parties to be at, right? You, so, so you get the IV, but you also try to respect yourself, because, um, you that are organizing the party, one of the worst things is if the party is flopping. As in, you see people going, then like, ah, you just see people coming out. What's happening? Says so it's a flop, man. We are going to another one. But if you went for a correct party, here's what will happen. I remember one, I can't forget. It was um, in Uniko, on Unikoi Street. Got there, and here's the first thing you see. As you just, uh, they're parking. Uh, actually, your driver is parking because you're not allowed to drive. Remember, it's secondary school. So you're coming out, and then you just see people. And the people are behind the barricade. And there's a distance between the, bar uh, the barricade and the house. And there are who? Bouncers there. Because the IVs, they printed a hundred. The main people are hearing the music. It's rocking. So I went for this party with a few friends. I didn't have an IV. You know, the bouncers were there. You're kind of trying to sweet talk. Whatever. Just get, get back. All right, no problem, no problem. I now saw one of my old-time friends. One of my old friends, he was kind of, he was one of the organizers. And I sent him, I said, tell him Femi Oshuni is around. <laughs> so at that point, I'm not like, this guy, I hope I didn't offend him before. So later, one of the bouncers just came, Femi Oshuni. And I'm somewhere at the back. Like, I'm like, come in. And I just started bouncing. <laughs> then, then you have to, you look at all the people around them like, see you. Get to people. I got on the inside. The inside track. You know how it is to be on the inside track of something. You know those restaurants you go to that they don't put any signage. You only know about that restaurant because you are in the know. You understand? On the inside, right? Or that, that, that club, that country club that you're able to enter because, you know, if you don't have the pass, you don't have the membership, sorry. It's not for people like you. It's for people on the inside. You know that kind of life. And then when you enter that club, you now realize there's an inner room. <laughs> so there's one thing to be exclusive, but there's another thing to be the exclusive of the exclusive. It's one thing to be in the 1%, but it's another thing to be in the 1% of the 1%. 
It's like being a president of a country. It's good. It's true. When you're in the country, you're the president. But when it's another thing to be a president of a country, another thing to be a member of the G7, exclusive of the exclusive. It's one thing to be United Nations. It's another thing to be part of the Security Council, for which Fela said one vote is equal to 92 or more or more. <laughs> the inside of the inside. Haman did not just have wealth. Haman did not just have office standing and many sons. He was on the inside of the inside. The queen had thrown a banquet. And guess who she invited? The king and no other nobles. On the inside of the inside. Who would not love to be Haman? Everything we want. And what does he say about him in verse 13? Or what did he say? But all this gives me no satisfaction. With all of these things, Haman was not satisfied. It's ironic. He had tried everything. We just examined that he tried accumulation. I'm not satisfied with life. So let me acquire and accumulate all the things that people say are valuable. He did to the nth degree. He wasn't satisfied. Oh, I know why. It's because people are not recognizing. They're not recognizing. So if you have it, they say you should do what? Flaunt it. So he will gather his wife. That's what he said. He said he gathered his wife and he gathered his friends and he started to tell them about all the things that he had. You know those kinds of people are experts in name, name dropping. You know, because it's one thing, Heman was showing that the real thing with power is that your bank, the, your, um, the level of your bank account is not as important as who is on your contact book. So Heman would just kind of, eh, you know, um, ah, I was with uh, um, this guy, Shegun. Shegun just came by. He was like, which Shegun? Like, oh, Shegun, you know now, Shegun Agbaje. Um, the, um, what's he again? Uh, the GT Bank. Remember? You notice what he did? GT Bank MD. You know what he did? You don't call them by their name and their surname. Because when you call them by their name and their surname, there's a bit of distance. But you just say, oh, Shegun was here. <laughs> you know, Shegun. You know? His name dropping. Look at, look at all the power I have. But there's something disturbing about it. You know why? Notice, who did he call to come and boast about it? He called his wife. Is it that his wife doesn't know? <laughs> and he had been doing this not just now. He'd been doing it for five years. He was addicted to boasting about himself. Because he was searching for satisfaction which wasn't coming. It is like if I gave you a cup, this is how a power as an idol works. Because it's like a narcotic. And how do narcotics work? Uh, how do narcotics work? It's like if I give you a cup of two liters and you say, oh, this is going to fill my thirst. And I pour two liters inside, all of a sudden, because of the water I poured in the two liters, it becomes four liters. Not the water, but the cup. Then you say, oh, all right, let me pour four liters. You pour four liters, it becomes a capacity of eight liters. In other words, power, like the law of a narcotic drug that promises you satisfaction, what it does, it ends up increasing your capacity to be dissatisfied. The more you have it, the more you think you'll be happy, but the more you want more of it. So you keep boasting about it. But here's even another thing. It reveals something deeper. Those who demand, and this was the problem with Haman, he demanded that he be respected. 
Notice he says, he was not satisfied as long as he saw the Jew, Mordecai, at the king's gate. What is he just saying? No, it's not just that he saw Mordecai. It was because when he saw Mordecai, what did Mordecai not do? Every time everyone saw Haman, they were commanded to pay him honor, and people used to kneel down. But here in verse 9, he says, But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. There was something in him that felt, this man doesn't respect me. That's why he boasted. Right? If I tell people who I am, what I've achieved, maybe they'll respect me. But look at this guy. With everything I've done, this guy just doesn't respect me. He doesn't bow to me. He was, Eman was a very insecure person. You see, because insecure people, you can be insecure, uh, insecure people, they react to power in two different ways, but they're still insecure. One is that you have to announce, you have to boast about it when they're given power. But the other one is that they hide when they don't have it. You know, some of us have a high school reunion. You know high school reunion? You know high school reunion? The way some people are trying to pretend is like, I don't know, because you don't want to go. And let me tell you why you don't want to go. Because when they announce high school reunion, the next thing you do is that, ah, you look at the Facebook of, the, of some of your friends. It's 15 years now. And then what will happen is they'll be like, eh, see, Lola. Lola is running a number of hospitals. Oh. Then after, you now say, see, Anita. Kai, Anita is running her own fashion business. She has a, a, a shop on the Admiralty Way and uh, Twin Street. Now, wow. Me, what am I doing? At this civil service job now, myself. So you would end up not going there. Why? Because the things that other people don't have that you also worship, you can't boast about it. You have to hide. And I'm telling you, if you are in any of those, if you are any of those people, smell the coffee and wake up. Power doesn't satisfy. You see. The insecurity of him and also, it's, it's just amazing. Everybody else is bowing. Everybody else. Why does one person bother you? Why does this person questioning that authority, why does that one person bother you? It's because he saw in Mordecai something he wanted. Mordecai was sure of himself, and he wasn't sure of himself. And so when that questioning comes, it makes him sad, as we saw in verse 13. But also, as we saw in verse 9, it makes him mad. That leads me to something else. You see, what we see with Haman is somebody who lusted after power and was given power, and so they demanded respect. But when this respect, this demanded respect is now given to you, if somebody should question it, this insecure person, who is then being challenged, if that person should have absolute power, you know what that leads to? It leads to oppression. It leads to suppression. It leads to injustice. Let me show you. Notice what was the advice that was given to him and that pleased him. It says he should what? Kill him. Set up a pole, impale him on it. Because Haman just reacted in the same way every insecure reading dictator reacts to dissent. It is with aggression, with suppression, with oppression, and destruction. 
You won't bow to me? Do you know who I am? I'll show you. Then you call. I don't want that person to work for you again. If that person works for you, then you can't do business with us again. Why? Because you need to show who you are. That person challenged me. And we already see not just this pattern in our own lives. We see it in our city. We see it also in this book. Earlier on, you know what had happened? The king, he was throwing a back. Uh, the king was, these guys like to party, by the way. If you read that book, <laughs> this book, they love to party. I think some of them were in Jebus, uh, but let's leave that aside. The king was throwing a banquet, and he had food was flowing. He had the guys around him. And so the queen at the time, a woman named Vashti, she also was throwing a banquet with her girlfriends. You know, the independent woman threw her hands up in the air, all of those kind of things. So they were having a race time. The king had now drunk too much. So you know what he said? He said, go and call Vashti for me. Ah, look at me. Look at all I've done. You need to see my wife. Do you know how much I spend on cream in a month for her? The cream. Do you know how much I spend on Mary Kay in a month for her? Well, look at, you know, all can you guys need to see her because the glory of a man is his what? His wife. So he wanted to parade her in front of men as though she was an object. And Vashti, if you don't think she's a hero, because when we were growing up, we always thought of her as a wicked woman. And, uh, Esther came and applied. Vashti is a hero. Vashti rightly refused the king. And so the king was now angry. How can she do that? What should be done? So he now sought the advice of his counselors, his nobles. May God not give us bad advisors. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> what did they say? They said, ah, let her not come into your presence again. Were they looking out for the king? Eh, not quite. What was the reason they gave? They said, ah, king. <laughs> oh, I have wife to her home. This thing that has happened in your, in, your, in your own household, if my wife should hear it, there will be a feminist revolution in the land. All these women will not obey their husbands again. They were insecure cowards. They couldn't stand the fact that their wives could want to behave like people. And so they said, let us oppress. Let us suppress them. I must say this. Men who shout or, or hit their wives. Bosses who demean their employees. Pastors who curse their congregants. Politicians who look down on masses are pitiful, insecure cowards who have unfortunately been vested with power. I hope you are not one of them. It's the kind of power that we see visibly displayed in our city, in our country. But there's another way of thinking about power. And that's the invisible power that we see here. Have you ever been on the receiving end of tyrannical power? Like somebody has oppressed you. Did you ever feel like in that situation like, where is God? I feel like God has abandoned me. I feel like maybe he doesn't exist. And you know what? If you've ever felt like that so far, where we are in this story, it seems to support those, that kind of thinking. Question. Bible question. And if you're in the first service, don't answer this question. If you did a search of the word God or the word Lord in the book of Esther, what do you, how, many, how many times would you, do you think you see the name come up? Yeah. Uh, you see them. Well, they answered. The answer is what? Zero. The name God or Lord does not appear at all in this book. And so, excuse Mordecai if he felt, you know, because, for instance, let me ask another one. Have you ever been unjustly treated? 
Like, for instance, have you, have you received, uh, someone else received huge amount of, cre of credit for something you did? You know that feeling? Uh, you did it, but somebody else received credit for it. Or, the other way around, you received blame for somebody else's screw-up. Have you ever been in that position? Oh, yes. Once again, especially when it's intense, you may feel that God has abandoned you or he doesn't exist. Well, so far, Mordecai too could feel the same way. Because if, you, if I take you to two, uh, chapter 2, verse 21, 23, towards the end, what had happened was that Esther became king, queen after Vashti was removed. And so Mordecai was closer to the king. So there was about to be a coup d'etat. You know coup d'etats? We don't have them again, thank God. But we used to have them a lot in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. So there was about to be a coup d'etat. Um, um, some guys called Big Thana and Teresh. They were part of the king's guards. So they became angry. I'm reading from verse 21 of chapter 2. They became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. And when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were impaled on poles. All this was recorded in the book of the annals of the, in the presence of the king. Mordecai was a hero. He was the whistleblower that foiled the plot, the plot to kill the king. Did you, did you not see that? And what do you expect for people that do such heroic things? They are meant to be elevated. They are meant to be promoted. That would not just be the right thing. That would be the just thing to do. Amen? Amen. So you expect that Mordecai, at this point, is now going to be promoted, is going to be elevated. Well, let me read the next verse to you. After these events that have just happened, King Xerxes honored Haman, the Hama, uh, son of Amadatha, the, uh, uh, the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than all of the other nobles. To which Haman, excuse me, why? What about me? He went back to the king's gate. He was not honored at all. So excuse me, Mordecai says, if God exists, he's unjust, or he has forgotten about me, or if he's trying to do something for me, maybe he's just late. And if you're feeling like that, now let me give you some words that will help you, because the prophets also speak like that. Let me give you two prophets. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? Jeremiah 12, verse 1. Or how about this one? Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those who are more righteous than themselves? Habakkuk 1 verse 13. Well, before you conclude on that, can I ask you, don't rush. Because the story hasn't ended. In fact, let me kind of summarize what happened between chapter 6, in chapter 6, verses 1 to 13. Now, we know that Mordecai hasn't received any reward for five years. So here's what happened. After they have advised him that they should kill um, Mordecai. Now, by twist of fate, the king couldn't sleep. And by chance, he asks for the record books and realizes no honor has been given to Mordecai, 6, 1 to 3. 
Coincidentally, Haman is around to discuss Mordecai's destruction when Zerus wants to discuss his honor, verses 4 to 6a. Luckily for Mordecai, Haman suggests the mother of all honors because he accidentally misunderstood who was getting honored, 6b to 9. And by fluke, the powerful guy is publicly honoring his powerless enemy, verse 10 to 11. Is that a good summary of what happened? Yeah? And it's not even, there's more than that, though. Because later, in verse, uh, verses 12 to 13, uh, in verse 14, they come to get Haman for the banquet. And if you read chapter 7, there's a whole thing that unravels. Eventually, Haman is actually impaled on the pole that he set up for Mordecai. And, you know, the summary that I gave probably is a good one. I use words like this. Twist of fate. Chance. Coincidence. Luck. Accident. Fluke. That's how all of this happened. In fact, I can use one for it. Happenstance. It was by happenstance that Esther the Jew became queen. It was by happenstance that the king just happened to have a dream. It was by happenstance that he asked for the book to be read. It was by happenstance that Haman just happened to be around at the time he wanted to discuss. Guys, it was by happenstance that Haman that wanted to destroy ended up being destroyed. And it was by happenstance that Mordecai eventually became promoted at the end of the book. And it was by happenstance that all of this led to the salvation of the Jews. All by chance, by fluke, right? Since God doesn't appear there. Don't mistake the invisibility of God to be the absence of God. Don't mistake the silence of God to be that he is an unjust God. And don't mistake the delay of God to say, that he's a late-coming God. You see, the fact that he's silent in this, the evidences are all there that God had been working all along. Let me give you a theological concept. The Bible teaches that God is sovereign. By God being sovereign, it means that he rules over a particular domain. So his sovereignty is over a particular domain. And the Bible teaches that over all the entire universe, God's sovereignty is over the entire universe. Amen? But the way he demonstrates that sovereignty, that is the way he actually rules, the way he exerts his power through what we call providence. Everybody say providence. Providence is basically God's sovereignty at work. And God was providentially working in the life of, of Esther working in the life of Mordecai, and we didn't know it. You may be in a particular situation now. You think that God is not existent. You think God is absent. You think God is delaying. Why don't you wait and see? Because many of us take justice, and we say, if God is very powerful and is a God of justice, why doesn't he act immediately? Why doesn't he work in my timeline? Here's what you're forgetting. God is also wise. God has seen things beyond what you can see. If Mordecai would say, why not now? Why not now? He didn't see that God's plan was to save the Jews. And he needed five years of being in the wilderness until he was recognized. When you cry out to God, 
for his power to be at work in justice. Remember that the invisible power of God is working through a providence that has the wisdom of God tied to it. Amen? Now, but in the rule of God and the way he exerts his power, there's still one more element that is missing. We've spoken about his justice. We've spoken about his wisdom. This is how his power is used. But there's one more that is missing, and that is love, which takes me to the last point. The loving power. All right, I feel to be, I'm on a roll when it comes to quotation, so I may give you one more. Mahatma Gandhi. Gandhi says, the day, power, the, the day the power of love overrules the love of power, the world will know peace. And I think he's partly right, but it depends on how we define love. What is that love he's talking about? Because if it's just the love for us to sit down together, maybe Oyeka Iwenu's uh, kind of love. One love... Keep us together. Fantastic song, by the way. Anyway, but if it's just that love, just say, you know what? I know that guy cheated you, but just love him. Why? Because of world peace. <laughs> it's not that complicated. It's not. Go and tell that to the Jews and the Palestinians. It depends on what love we are talking about. Now, follow me closely, and I want to explain what that is. Remember the word honor I don't know how many times you noticed it when Fumlai was reading. The word honor in the passage that she read, it plays a huge role in this story, honor. It comes over and over and over again. In fact, the honor is used 12 times in the entire book, in the 10 chapters of the book. But in that passage, it occurs eight times. Now, this honor that we eventually see is what is given to Mordecai. It's a public display or an acknowledgement of uh, somebody that we are meant to pay some kind of homage to, right? You saw that. What if you are in Persia, I can tell you one thing. You will not mistake honor for somebody that's being put on a pill, on, uh, impaled on a pole. Those two guys that were impaled on pole, uh, the two guys that were trying to kill the king, nobody saw them as being honored. In fact, remember Haman was coming to talk about killing and putting um, this guy, Mordecai, on a pole. But the king then wanted to honor him to show that you will not associate honor with somebody being put on a pole. Are we together? Okay. So then turn with me to John chapter 5. In John chapter 5, verse 22, 23, listen to what is said. Uh, Jesus says, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. I hope it's clear. God wants to, us to honor Jesus, isn't it? And God wants to honor Jesus, right? Right? In fact, in chapter 17, Jesus said, the time has come. Glorify your son. Do you know what honor, honor meant eventually for Jesus? He was put on a pole. Excuse me, how does this work? God is very powerful. And God is a God of justice. And God wants to honor his son. So why is his son being dishonored on a pole? It makes no sense. And it, didn't make, it shouldn't make sense to you. And it doesn't make sense to even the people that were there at the time. Because when Jesus was on the cross, some people started to mock him. They were saying stuff like this. Come down. 
from the cross. If you are the son of God, I mean, you should have power. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said. But he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants, for he said, I am the son of God. Because we know God is powerful. If you are truly the son of God and you trust in God, then God should bring you down. Why are you still there? Why not God put his power down and forgive Jesus if Jesus even feels somewhat like them? Because Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you what? Forsaken me. Do you know what Jesus heard back from, from heaven? Silence. Was abandoned. Even though the power was there. Even though there's justice and this was the most unjust act. Why did that happen? I'll tell you. It was the power of love. There was wisdom at play, but here's the point. This God, as we hear in, John, in 1 John, it says God is what? Love. But yet, as we see in Deuteronomy chapter 2, it says this is a God without injustice. So he has just, he's just, but he's also loving. So how is he going to execute his power? Well, that's where the wisdom comes in. So when Peter is thinking about this thing, he tells us something. In Acts chapter 4, he says, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Now listen closely. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand would happen. Listen. For all of us that are acting for asking for justice because God has power. If God were to just bring his power and his justice and he applied it to every human being, guess what? None of us will be here. But for God to demonstrate his love, at the same time demonstrate his justice, his wisdom came together for him to demonstrate his power and that led to Jesus on the cross. Because Jesus as he says in, in John 3.15, for just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that all who believe in him will be saved. And then John adds, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Whoever believes in him will not perish. God allowed his Son, because of his love and his justice, to perish in our place so that we wouldn't have to perish. This is the gospel's power. And that's why Paul can say the gospel is the power of God unto what? Salvation. It is the most, it is the greatest power we have in the whole world. In fact, he compares it with the power that created the entire universe. He said, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give us the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Guys, if you're a believer in Jesus here, I want to tell you that great power has been at work to put you in Christ. Here's the question. How will you then use the power that you have? In chapter 10, verses 2 to 3, it eventually tells us, this is the end of the book, that Mordecai, Eventually, not only did he inherit Haman's estate, he now inherited Haman's position. Now, don't forget, when Haman had his position, people paid him honor and respect. Why? 
because it was commanded. <laughs> now, Mordecai has the same position, and he says about Mordecai, he says he was preeminent among the Jews, the highest-ranking Jew, and held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews. And you want to ask, oh, of course now, why would he be held in high esteem? Rankadede, uh, he has a position, he has sycophants around him. They, do, they honor him, why? Because he has that position. Is that why he was held in high esteem? Listen to what he says. He says, because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all Jews. If God gave you power, and many of us have power here, I don't care what you think, you have, the position you have in your job, you have power somewhere. Will you use it like Haman, or will you use it like Mordecai? Will people in your place of work say, that person, or that, uh, uh, or people in your place of work, will they say, that boss, I submit to that boss because she is just wonderful. I know that she has my interest at heart. Will your wife say to you, about you, that you know this is my husband, even though he's the head of this home, that leadership and that headship, he used it to make me flourish. Will your children say about you, eh, because my mom is very old, that's why she's always beating me, but when I'm older, she won't be able to beat me again. If you ever hold political office, will you only be thinking about your second term? Or you'll be thinking in the time I have, I want to bring people up. Look, if you go that way, you will be held in high esteem. Jesus did not remain dead. Jesus was resurrected. And eventually God said, so at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. If the way to go up is by going down, it is the humble that will be exalted. That is how to live a gospel-centered life with power. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we just want to ask that you enable us to use power. Don't allow power to use us. Pray that if we have the power of wealth, help us to bring people up the socioeconomic ladder. If we have influence in the corridors of power, help us to be the voice of the voiceless. Help us to be those who bring people, deserving people and talented people up, even though they may not have a voice. And finally, Lord, help us to use the greatest power that we have, the power of the gospel, not to condemn sinners, but to call them to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. We ask all this in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.